Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. All right, so let me start with the association. Stop me if you've heard this before, but Chris Paul played in a game last night and somebody got drilled in the package. Yeah, I know. Tell you something you did not already know. However, plot twist, this time it was not Chris Paul who administered the blast to the junk. Nope, it was Jay Crowder. Roll it. Good fake. Crowder trying to get a pass off. It's Aiton. Down goes Doncic. And Crowder's going to take a look at it. And I think the officials are going to take a look at this as well. Looked like Luka got hit in the midsection here. He got hit below the midcourt stripe, as they say. With the knee. Ooh. You could see it, and you could feel it. <laughs> wow. Oh, my goodness. We're looking right now for a flagrant one. From what I've seen throughout these playoffs, and obviously everything that went on with Draymond Green, I assume this is going to be upgraded to a flagrant one. Donchick still collecting his breath. Well, wouldn't you? <laughs> yes, I would. Okay. Yes, I would. You could see it. You could feel it. And if I'm not mistaken, you could hear it. Good fake. Crowder trying to get a pass off. It's Aiton. Down goes Doncic. So. so what that was, was a pretty blatant ass shot to the groin. That is not a part of the shooting motion at all. That's Jay Crowder. Knee, his knee hitting Luca's groin like Jay feeling blasting a 60-yarder. Jay Feely. What I'm saying is, I bet that hurt. I haven't seen berries get crushed like that since the grape lady went ham. Hurt. You think? She yeah, she's Ouch. hurt. She took a hard fall off there. Oh, you wow. think? You think, anchor dude? If anything should get you ejected from a game these days, smashing a dude in the nuts ought to be at the very top of that list. And I say that as somebody who really does like Jay Crowder and his game. But for some reason, Crowder stayed in the game. That was only a flagrant one. So you know who saw that? You know who saw that and had a reaction? Wait for it. Draymond Green. He fired off a series of tweets. There was the eyes emoji. There was a string of crying, laughing emojis. Then there was this quote. Been ejected for less. End of quote. And the guy's totally right. Not only has he been ejected for less in the past, he was ejected for less on Sunday. If a flagrant two is defined as, and I quote, unnecessary and excessive contact committed by a player against an opponent, end quote. I can think of no better definition of unnecessary and excessive contact than blasting a guy in the junk. If that's not unnecessary and excessive, then by definition, you're saying that what Jay did to Luca was either necessary or moderate or just part of the game. So, which part of kicking Luka in the groin was necessary or moderate or a legitimate basketball play? All this does is prove Draymond's point that he's getting reft on reputation. 
And if you think that he's going to change that reputation and change how he plays, then you do not know Draymond. Because this guy's not backing down. Not even after the league refused to do the right thing and downgrade that foul to a flagrant one, which they should have. They should have, but they didn't. And Draymond says, all right, all right, still not changing. I'm never going to change the way I play basketball. It's gotten me this far. It's gotten me three championships, four All-Stars, Defensive Player of the Year. Not going to change now. Hell no. Hell no, he should not change. You can hate this guy all you want, but you cannot deny the fact that that way of playing has made him one of the best players in the league. It's gotten him three rings. It's going to get him a trip to Springfield in the future. Hell no, this guy should not back down. Absolutely not, because if I take the bite out of, out of the way I play, then we go home early and, and the points don't matter anyway. So, nah, I don't know how to take bite out. That don't really work for me. Right. Yeah, that doesn't really work for me either. See, the problem with that ejection was not Draymond. It was the refs. They were the ones in over their heads. Those dopes proved it later in the game when all three of them could not make a simple out-of-bounds call in the final minute of a game. And it doesn't work for Golden State either because they feed off Draymond. There's a reason why he's one of their leaders on the floor and off it, and that reason is the way he plays. You take that away from him, and then you rip the heart right out of the Warriors. I mean, sure, they don't want to see this guy getting ejected or suspended. They need him on the floor, but they need him on the floor with that edge. Otherwise, they run the risk of getting run out of the building. And then that's bad for them and bad for the sport. So the refs are the ones who need to pull their heads out their collective asses. Love the guy or hate the guy, Draymond is Draymond. And he really doesn't care if you love him or hate him. In fact, he probably prefers that you hate him because he gets a lot more juice out of that. And so does Golden State. Just know that Draymond is not going to change. Because if he does change, then the Warriors change. He's not changing. But the league should. Like, this guy's not the only one walking around occasionally blasting the opposition in the package. He's just the only one getting punished for it and singled out for it. Dude, don't, thank you, Alvin. That made it better. Dude, so did that. Hey, I love, I love a guy in a sound library. Good, good, oh, good one, Alvin. Welcome to the fourth grade. Way to go, Alvin. Boing. Anyway, don't either of you ever change. You, Alvin. You, Draymond. Don't you ever change now. I'm never going to change the way I play basketball. How about you, Alvin? Are you ever going to change the way you engineer? Not going to change now. Alvin's not going to change. Draymond's not going to change. Best of all, I know neither one of them will. After the game, can't you just picture CP looking at Jay across the locker room? Starts to get a little dusty. Little teary-eyed. Teary-eyed like a proud dad. Overcome with emotion. He walks over. He gives Jay a big hug. A warm embrace. I know that they're only five years apart. But damn it. It's kind of like watching your son ride that bike on his own. After months 
and months of you running next to him down the street only to see the little lad lay the bike down over and over and over again. And then finally, you let him go and he's pedaling and he's standing and he's getting down the street. Seeing Jay go unit check gave CP hope that when he does retire and he passes the baton, his signature move, the blast of the package, will live on. Good fake. Crowded. Forever. Down goes Doncic. The sounds of the game. Ah, oh, the sounds of the game. You know, they always talk about spring training in baseball. The smell of the grass, the crack of the bat. I prefer to think about the sounds of the association. Sounds like this. <laughs> the sounds of guys unexpectedly getting blasted in the package. Drive-by package blast. You don't forget that sound. Yeah, you knew Draymond was going to have some fun with that. Hey, guys, why don't we talk about something that you probably don't think about very often, but you should. Skincare. Skincare can be complicated, especially for men who have never had a skincare routine. That's where Tiege Hanley comes in. Tiege Hanley is a men's skincare company that helps guys start and maintain a healthy skincare routine by making the process uncomplicated. Every box comes with an instruction card. Every box comes with an instruction card that tells you when to use each product, how much to use, and in what order. It's that simple. In fact, you know what? Start with the level one system because that is the easiest way to get it going. And it comes with all of the basics that guys need to take care of their skin. The products included are a face wash, an exfoliating scrub, an AM moisturizer, and a PM moisturizer. A daily face wash to get rid of the dirt and grime on your skin. And two times per week, exfoliating scrub to get rid of the dead skin cells. Plus the AM moisturizer rules and the PM moisturizer helps your skin stay hydrated and healthy throughout the entire night. I love it. Now I've got a plan. Now I've got a process. Now I've got a product. And you should too. And especially right now because Tiege Hanley is sponsoring this episode and they're offering an amazing deal. Just go to tiege.com slash and you'll get 30% off your first box plus a free gift. That's T-I-E-G-E dot com slash Rome. An amazing deal. Tiege dot com slash Rome. Their GM, of course, is Terry Fontenot. Terry, it's good to have you back on. How are you? I'm great, Jim. Really appreciate you having me, man. Terry, really appreciate you coming back. Great to have you. So let me ask you about the draft. In fact, before I get there, it was announced this morning that the team did agree to a three-year extension with Grady Jarrett. What does he mean to the team, and then how pleased are you to get that deal done? Boy, it's exciting. Uh, we're really pleased to get it done. Uh, a lot of people in the building worked harder on that. Chris Olson, Kirsten Groves, our staff, and um, and obviously his agent and, and that group, but uh, Grady's a, a really good football player, and he's an even better human being. Comes from a great family, and he, he brings so much. He's the type of guy you want to build around. Um, one of those extensions, we're excited. We got him done this off season. Uh, also, Young Way Koo and and, um, and and our left tackle uh, Jake Matthews. And so, it, it's important those foundational pieces and to make sure they're here for a long time. And he's one of those players we couldn't be more excited. 
Terry Fontenot is joining us, Atlanta Falcons GM. Terry, I'm kind of curious, before we break down the draft, overall, what was the draft experience like for you? I mean, is it fun? Is it stressful? Is it a combination of both? What's it feel like? I would say it's fun. We put all the pressure in the preparation and, and leading up to it, uh, the meetings. It, it's an exhaustive process with, again, a lot of people that work so hard. Um, our scouting staff, led by Kyle Smith, and, and along with the coaches and, and, and the rest of the building, a lot of people put so much into it, uh, and when you get to the draft, it's it's an exciting moment, and you, you know those players really well. Where last year with the COVID restrictions, we didn't get to get around those players as much. This year we did, and so you have relationships with a lot of those players that you built up through the process. And so when you get in the draft, when you prepare the right way, it's 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 exciting and rewarding. All right, so you start the draft off and you select USC wide receiver Drake London with the eighth pick overall. It was a really deep receiver draft. You made him the first receiver off the board. What did you like about both his physical skills and his makeup? Yeah, yeah, great point because it, it, it does. It starts with the makeup and, and bringing in the right kind of guys, and he is the right kind of guy. He's, he's wired the right way, and we, we know that because we spent a lot of time with him. And, but yet, when you just put on the tape, Jim, you, you know exactly the type of player he is, the type of person he is from the film. The physicality he plays with, the toughness. He doesn't run out of bounds. What he does in traffic, he does the dirty work, um, the way he fights for yards after the catch. So we get excited about that. Then you look at a 6'4 a man, um, really good athlete. You can put on his basketball highlights of him growing up and see the kind of athlete he is and how explosive he is. But he brings another element to our team. Um, but it's on and off the field with him, and, and we don't even look at it like we're drafting a receiver. We're drafting a really good football player. Mm, Terry Fontenot is joining us. So when you combine him with Kyle Pitts, how do you see the two of them working together on the field, and then what does that mean for the offensive identity overall? Yeah, it, it, it's exciting. It's exciting. Um, t- two big athletic players that, again, put in the work, and, and the same with Kyle. When we drafted him last year, we believe we're taking the best football player off the board and, and a player with an outstanding makeup. Um, just the way he puts in the work, and they're going to both come in here and work, and, um, and and we're excited about what they're going to add to this offense. So, Terry, you've been around the game a long time. How much has the value of wide receivers changed over the course of that time? Yeah, it was interesting uh, this year, the way the receivers um, came off the board, and, and obviously you see the contracts and the numbers that receivers are getting. Um, it, it, it is really interesting, Jim, and uh, the value of that position right now uh, for us um, it, it's all about uh, bringing in good football players overall. So I, I think we'd always look at it that way, out, regardless of what particular position it is. It's just about bringing in good football players with the right makeup. Um, so it, it's uh, But when you look at what's happened this offseason at receiver, it really is interesting. Terry Fontenot is the GM of the Atlanta Falcons, joining us once again. So going to the draft, you said that you could come out of the draft with a quarterback, and then in the third round you selected Desmond Ritter out of Cincinnati. What did you feel set him apart from the other quarterback prospects? It, it's funny. I, I really appreciate you, Jim, because you you said the quote verbatim exactly what I said. Uh, that's what I said we could, and because um, I saw some other places and I, it said that we would. But um, but like you said, we could come out with a quarterback, and we felt like that going into last year's draft. We did a lot of work on the quarterbacks, and um, obviously we didn't in this year's draft. We put in a lot of work on those guys, and we came out with one. Next year it'll be the same thing, and but we're, we are really excited about Desmond. Uh, we believe we took the best player off the board at that time. Again, you talk about the makeup, and I remember we remember being in that building with him 
um, and looking at what they had built at Cincinnati. And it, it was exciting hearing him talk about uh, what they had done, that group of players, uh, that coaching staff. They really built a tough, physical, competitive team. They played with the chip on their shoulder, and they thought they could win any game, um, regardless of who it was against. And it was cool hearing him talk about that. And he was a big part of that. Um, so bringing in that kind of guy, um, that he's wired the right way. Uh, we've met his family, and he, he's a. He, we're excited about bringing him in the building. So Terry, in your mind, like when Cam comes around, is Marcus Mariota the starter in your mind, or do you see a scenario in which, in which there might be a quarterback competition in camp? Yeah, Jim. I think it's like every single position, uh, every single one of the, these players that we bring in. We drafted eight players and signed thirteen after the draft. And we bring in guys that are wired the right way because that's the beginning of the process. It's the first step. And now they got to come in here and put in the work. And there is competition at every position. One thing Arthur Smith tells the team that it doesn't matter how you got here. It doesn't matter if you're a first-round pick or eighth-round pick. You're coming in here to work. It doesn't matter with the free agents if we paid you a little more money or if you're on a minimum salary or if we sign you off the street or on the practice squad. Everybody's competing. We start off with 90. Everyone's competing to be on the 53 plus 16, and on a weekly basis, they're competing to be one of the 48. So really at every single position, Jim, it's about those players focusing on the process and coming in to compete. I got that. Terry Fontenot is joining us. So, Terry, obviously the possibility of drafting and or adding a quarterback or two was there because of the decision to move Matt Ryan. As you look back on that, I get you're looking forward, not back, but as you look back on that, if you could for one moment, what was that decision-making process like for you and ultimately what made you decide to make that move? Well, it it was – look, first of all, we we really appreciate Matt and and appreciate the Colts and going through that whole process and – and, and, and we're really happy for him, and um, he's a great man. We appreciate spending a, a, a year with him. And, um, and at the end of the day, we're always um, going to do what's uh, best for the team at the time, and we believe that was a situation where we're able to do what's best for the team and the player. Um, so we're excited about the outcome of that. And, and now, as we look forward, we're excited about this room. Um, with, with Marcus, with Desmond, Felipe, that's a big athletic group of guys that can run and, and do a lot of different things. So we're excited about the position right now. And, um, and again, always couldn't say uh, more good things about Matt Ryan or the Colts. So, Terry, a few things before I let you go. You mentioned makeup probably three, four, five times during this conversation. I want to ask you about that. How do you go about measuring a player's makeup? And what lets you know that there's somebody that, that you would want in your locker room? Yeah, so, so the, the, I would say we have a scouting staff that does an excellent job, and it starts with the boots on the ground, area scouts that are in those schools, and they're getting all the information, not just from one person that says this, but they have a lot of sources. They do an excellent job, and, and they have a lot of sources that are going um, to ask all those questions, make sure those players check all those boxes. So they bring the information um, to us. We have cross-check, then the coaches get involved, and, and we go through that whole process of the all-star games the combine the 30 visits we go out to their places for the pro days and and every single exposure we gather more information from it and it's all encompassing so at the end when we're saying this player loves football and he's wired the right way he's a self-starter that's going to come in and work we go through all those boxes and say he fits our ethos we want him here it's all encompassing it starts with that area scout but every level of information that, that, that we gather, it all means something. And it's got to tie up with the tape, too, because you can't say you love football and but you play 
you're, uh, you play a certain way. So it all ties in with the tape and all the information that, again, our staff does an excellent job gathering. And then finally, when you factor all of that in, do you also take into consideration whether or not that player has something to prove, legitimately something to prove, and believes it? Well, you know what? It, 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 that's, a, that's a great question. And I really believe, regardless of whether a player was a, didn't have a lot of stars coming out or if he went to a smaller school, it can be a player that was a five-star and went to a bigger school. When you have players that are wired the right way, they're always going to have something to prove. And, and we've been around players like that. I've, Jim, I've been around players that have won Super Bowls and have been all pros, but they still come in every day with something to prove. And, and, and they work like that, and, that, and they focus on the process. And so I think when you bring in guys that are wired the right way, they're going to be players that come in and have something to prove and compete. So even once they have success, there won't be entitlement. So um, I think that's important. Hey, Terry, I've never understood that. I've always wanted to understand that. I still do not understand that. Can you quantify that? Can you measure that? How do you explain some guys that have achieved so much, that have so much money, that if anybody could rest on their laurels, it would be certain guys. You know, Tom Brady. I even look at Steph Curry and the way Steph Curry is kind of reinventing himself mentally and physically, where other guys are like, no, nah, I'm good. I earned that. I'm going to take that victory lap. Is there any explanation? Is that hardwiring? Is that nature? Is that nurture? What is that exactly? I, that's a that's a great that's a great question. Look, we can talk about a guy like Grady Jarrett, and there's a reason we're so excited about resigning Grady. Look, Grady's made a lot of uh, money through his career, and Grady. The reason we're so excited about resigning Grady is because we know he's going to come in every day and put in the work, and he wants to be the best possible player he can be. And regardless of how many games, whether you're winning, whether you're losing, you know what you're getting from him. You're getting a consistent worker, one thousand percent. So. I, it's it's a great question because it's not a science. It's not like we can look at these specific things and say this player has this or doesn't have this. It's something in those those players that have that, and those are the players that we're trying to find. Let me finally ask you this. I'm not in any way trying to be cheap about this, but we're all a product of our choices and decisions, right? We all make good choices. We all make bad choices. I'm talking about Calvin Ridley. Like the story goes, reportedly, you had been having conversations about trading him, and then you get the news that he was going to be suspended for betting on games. I mean, at any point, have you wondered how that all happened or why he might have thought that it was okay to do that? Where do you come out on that? Yeah, it's, um, look, Calvin, um, we continue to support Calvin and um, in, in everything, um, and this was, Look, there's a lot of unique things that, that kind of happen, um, especially this This was my first year being a GM and some things come across your desk that um, that can, can surprise you a little bit. But um, at the end of the day with Calvin, um, we're going to support him um, the best way we know how, and, um, and, and we'll see. He's obviously a great young man, and we'll do the best we can for him. All right, so I kept you a really long time. One last thought. I know you're not going to plan a parade based on going 7-10, and 10, but I would argue it was actually one of the better coaching and development jobs in the league last season. So did you learn anything about Arthur Smith and your coaches and players that you did not know when you came in? Absolutely. I think that I think you nailed it, Jim. It says a lot about uh, Arthur Smith and, and Dean Pease and Dave Ragone and our coaches and, and Marquise and, and that whole staff that uh, it, it says a lot about the coaches and the locker room that we already have here and, and, and have established that we have players that are going to go out, compete, and fight. And that's the kind of team we want to have. And we have, um, we have coaches that are going to get the most of the players, and the players are going to go out there and really compete. I think it is impressive um, to come out there and, and, and do what we did and, and moving forward. Um, 
we have a coaching staff that's always going to get the best of players, and we'll, we'll have the type of locker room that's always going to compete. I think you have a great coach and a great coaching staff, and there was a three-win improvement over last season. The future is very, very bright. It's setting up nicely. He was named GM last January. After spending 18 years with the Saints, he is the GM of the Falcons, Terry Fontenot. Terry, really appreciate you. Appreciate you making yourself available for this program, and it's always good to talk to you. Thanks so much for that. Awesome. Thanks, Jim. Anytime, man. Have a good day. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake or eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender and made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? ...of the Arizona Cardinals has been suspended without pay for the six, first six games of the 2022 regular season for violating the NFL policy on performance-enhancing substances. Hopkins is eligible to participate in all preseason practices and games. He will be allowed to return to the Cardinals' active roster following the team's sixth regular season game. End of announcement. Boom! What that is is a nuke for nuke. So naturally, the first question is, exactly what did he test positive for? And there was that tweet circulating that he had tested positive for three different anabolic steroids and beaver tranquilizer. That's not true. First off, that's a reference to the movie Dodgeball. And a low-grade beaver tranquilizer. Ritz starred in that. Ritz saw it. A low-grade Beaver tranquilizer. And a low-grade beaver tranquilizer. Secondly, according to the league, he's tested positive for a prohibited substance and a diuretic or a masking agent. So what I'm saying to you is no beaver tranquilizers. Low-grade, high-grade, medium-grade, no beaver tranquilizers. Therefore, I do not need to hear from Garve about testing positive for the beave. Beaver tranquilizer. See what I did there? See what I don't want you to do there? <laughs> I do not need to hear from Garve about testing positive for the beave. Now, if you were surprised by DeAndre Hopkins testing positive, you were not nearly as surprised as DeAndre Hopkins himself. His brand manager texted Adam Schefter to say that a test in November returned, quote, trace elements of a banned substance. It went on to say, quote, DeAndre is committed to demonstrating that he did not knowingly take a banned substance. He has never once tested positive throughout his 10-year career. We're currently testing every product he used to figure out how this could have happened, and we'll release any new information as soon as we have it. End of quote. There must be like this boilerplate statement that they all pass around, that they all go with every single time this happens, because that's the same exact thing they always say every single time it happens. You know, another guy busted for not knowingly taking something. Or we will not stop until we find out exactly what it is or how it happened. Another person busted for not knowingly taking something. If only knowing or not knowing 
whether you were taking a banned substance mattered even a little. Can I repeat that? Because they always go to that. I've never knowingly taken any bad banned substance. If only knowing or not knowing mattered at all. Listen, I don't know. I don't know if Hopkins did or did not know what he was taking. But the next guy or gal who says that they knowingly took a banned substance will be the very first. And I'm guessing that it will never happen in the history of the world. Instead, he and his camp went SOP on the PEDs grabbed the playbook, and immediately talked about all the years without a single negative test and say that he didn't knowingly take it this time. Look, I'm not saying it's not feasible. I'm just saying I'm very skeptical every time I hear that. Skeptical every single time I hear an elite athlete say, I have never knowingly taken a PED. I have no idea how that insert whatever roid is in question got into my body. Like I said earlier, their body is their temple. Their body is their moneymaker. If you're an elite level athlete, a highly paid athlete, don't you always know exactly what it is you're putting into your body? You know, one thing for you or me, you start grabbing crap. But not athletes, man. They, they're Ferraris. They run on that rocket fuel. And they know they're tested. Isn't it just crazy that drug tests never seem to catch athletes who are knowingly taking PEDs, but always seem to catch the athletes who are completely caught off guard and surprised that they've accidentally ingested them. What a bleeping dink! Like, like, did Hopkins get hit by some, I don't know, magical PED elves? You know those little rascals who run around tainting supplements. And they've struck yet again. Man, you just can't trust those little guys. These jacked up little fiends break into your house at night, sprinkle bullroids into your protein powder. They'll rub the cream on you as you sleep. They'll chase that with the clear. Or they'll hit your steak with a dry rub of salt, pepper, and andro. Bench the salt. And the pepper. And the andro. For his part... Hopkins released a statement of his own that reiterated that he has never tested positive before and that he was, quote, confused and shocked, end of quote, by the news. Quote, I am very mindful of what I put in my body. I have always taken a holistic approach. So I am working with my team to investigate how this could have happened. But even as careful as I have been, clearly I wasn't careful enough. He went on. And said, quote, I fully intend to get to the bottom of this. As soon as I have more information, I will share it. End of quote. That's awesome. I hope he does get to the bottom of it. Yeah, call me skeptical, but a guy testing positive for PEDs and then pledging to investigate it and get to the bottom of it sounds a hell of a lot like Oge looking for the real killers on the golf course. Of course, Oge never found them. And I'm guessing Hopkins is not going to find the ones who slipped him the tainted beef. Listen, athletes testing positive does not shock me. Given the risk-reward scenario, athletes will always look for that edge and always assume the risk. PEDs can make good athletes great athletes. 
great athletes, Hall of Fame athletes, and Hall of Fame athletes, goats. Oh, and one more thing. They can make them rich as hell. All of that. And then what happens if they do get caught? Almost nothing compared to everything I just mentioned. And yes, one of the first things I ever said the first time I cracked open a microphone and got on the radio was, if you're not cheating, you're not trying, and it's only cheating if you get caught. That's me. I didn't make that up, but I've always said that. I mean, for decades. True. Except he did get caught. And if I'm the Cardinals, I'd be worried. If I'm the Cardinals, I'd actually be pissed. Because unless something changes, Hopkins is not going to be on the field for the first six games. And no nuke is a nuke for the Arizona Cardinals. No nuke is bad nuke for the Arizona Cardinals. They're not the same team without this guy. Kyler Murray is not the same quarterback without this guy. We saw that team and we saw that quarterback with Hopkins. And we saw them without Hopkins. With him, they actually look like the team to beat in the NFC. With him, Murray looked like an MVP candidate. With him, I would show up on the NFL Today on CBS and say these things, and Boomer Esiason will laugh in my face. And now my man Boomer's got the last laugh. Even if he's not going to pile on, he will. What's up, Boomer? That's my guy right there, Boomer Esiason. Anyway, without Hopkins. Without Hopkins, they were a team eking out a playoff berth only to get hammered. And I hate to say it, but Kyler Murray was just a guy. That's how important Hopkins is to this team and to that offense. That's how important he is to the QB1. And that's why I would be very concerned and even pissed if I'm the cards. Yes, Hollywood Brown is going to help. Good thing they've got him. But he's not Hopkins. Almost nobody is. And as much as I love these guys, given how they have finished recent seasons, getting off to a quick start has never been more important in Arizona than it is right now. And given that Murray is going to have to go without his most important weapon for the first month and a half of the year, it's pretty hard to see them and him breaking cleanly out the gate. Yes, I'm aware it's Derby week. I know you want my prediction. A little bit later on. So what I'm not saying is, I'm not saying their season is over before it's even started, but I am saying that it feels like that season, instead of starting it first and 10, they're starting it third and eight, or worse yet, fourth and eight. Coach them up, Cliff. Coach them up. Yo, D, credit for the holistic approach, because that is a new twist. But if you and your investigative team don't get to the bottom of this, might I suggest a strategy joint change? Do what I talked about earlier. Dust off the old Andy Pettit game plan. Is this on? I know I don't talk to the media very much. I know I don't really talk to anybody very much. Yeah, that, that positive drug test that I was confused and shocked about. Yeah, not confused and definitely not shocked. No, what that was was I didn't take the PEDs to gain an edge on anybody. I would never do that. I want a playing field that's level and even. No, what I did was I did do it, but only so I could get back with my teammates and do my job and rejoin the fight. I just wanted to be there for my teammates. I love them. 
and do my job. Like, you guys all have jobs, right? You guys have bills to pay, mouths to feed. You got to punch the clock, right? You never want to let your coworkers down. Never. So if I'm sorry, I'm sorry for wanting to heal more quickly. Oh, and speaking of heel, how about them Tar Heels taking down Duke on Coach K night and then knocking the life out of them in the Final Four? Oh, and speaking of life, I want to be an Arizona Cardinal for life. I love it here. Thank you very much and good night now. Pettit and his I only did it to rejoin the fight and be there for my teammates and all the fans lapping it up and like deifying the guy for it is still one of the most laughable things I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) The future will be great, but today is just as incredible. Meet Nissan's most advanced lineup. If you can't get enough adrenaline, there's the all-new 400 HP Nissan Z. Or for your off-road adventures, check out the all-terrain Nissan Frontier. If you're more of a spontaneous road trip type of person, then hop in the Nissan Pathfinder. And for something more electric, there's the stylish Nissan Aria. So let's enjoy the ride. 2023 RNZ not yet available for purchase. Expected availability this spring for 2023 Z and this fall for 2023 Aria. Mike Rupp is my guest. Mike, it's good to have you on. How are you? Hey, Jim. How are you, man? Thanks for having me on. It's good to have you on. In fact, it's great to have you on. So the playoffs are officially underway, Mike. I've got to start by asking, how fired up are you for this? And then how different is the energy when the regular season ends and the playoffs do start? Yeah, you know, um, I just, I've just i been retired now for eight years. And people say, like, oh, do you miss playing? Well, yeah, of course. Like, everybody, you know, misses, misses playing when they, when they retire. Um, but... I don't really miss it from the day to day. <laughs> I think it's just, you know, I think you most likely you're, you're missing making uh, the money you make as a professional athlete, just kind of having that camaraderie. But when playoffs roll around, I can't even tell you, like, this sounds pathetic. I, I don't sleep well at night. Like I'm sick. So it's like bring back memories. I start like just getting that, like I'm so excited for the first round just because you got game after game after game every night. Um, it's just different. I don't know. It's like, um, you know, it's almost like uh, you watch movies and, you know, some people like those. Uh, like, I love one of my favorite movies ever is like Gladiator, right? Or you got Braveheart. You got all those warrior type movies as you're growing up. And you're like, yeah, that's the one, you know. And, and this is like the closest thing we can. It feels like going through that grind. Like, it, it sounds cheesy, but it's true. Like, we're sitting there and after games in the playoffs where you got guys getting on three separate medical tables getting zipped up and getting stitches and, and guys playing with broken bones. And uh, it's just, it's just something unique. It's, it's incredible. So yeah, man, it's, I get jacked about it still. And uh, you said it, the, the war of attrition. I mean, that's the perfect way of saying it. Cause it's, it's just hang on, bro. You see guys, I'd always love like at the training camp guys come in. You're like, Hey man, you look really good. Nice jack. Look like you put on 10 pounds of muscle. You take the same shot of that guy after the playoffs, after he wins the Stanley Cup, doesn't even look like the same human. Skinny, de- depleted, cheeks sunken in, like just just losing weight all season. So it's it's a grind, and I think that's what makes it so special. Hey, Mike, that was one of the best first answers to an opening question we've had in quite some time. I thought that was awesome. There was nothing cheesy about that. Mike Rupp is joining us. So knowing the grind and knowing the fact that, for instance, Tampa Bay has played 44 postseason games over the last two years, how much does that illustrate how tough it is to repeat and then to even consider a three-peat? Yeah, I don't, it's hard for uh, – I don't think there's any players that can really comment on that. I mean, you'd have to go back to the 80s and talk about – 
the Edmonton Oilers or the uh, the New York Islanders to talk about teams that are in that position, right? So it's so hard to do. But uh, so I, here's the thing that I always felt like in the playoffs. Yes, it's a it's an absolute battle physically, but it also is really mentally. And so I think the biggest hurdle in playoff time is is almost. And I had John Tortorella as a coach, and for those listeners in the know, we were really outspoken. Go give that a a YouTube search on some of his his uh, spats with the media. Uh, keep you busy for a little bit. Uh, but he he would come in and and he would just come in and he'd say, guys, like you know, enough of that like BS. You know, don't listen to that outside noise. Like, well, people are going to say like we're talking about it. I, I I think it's probably a thing. Right, Jim? Like, I, you play in a lot of hockey. And that's, sure. you know, we talk about how tough it is on the body and injuries and all that stuff over these last couple of years for Tampa. But he, his message was always, don't listen to that. Don't let that sink in your head. You're not tired. As soon as you say you're tired, you lo- you're losing your edge. So um, I, I think it's a mental grind. I think the mental side of it is actually worse than the physical side. So, um, you know, during the year, guys, especially nowadays, you've got these uh, the planes were on, the type of food you're eating, you're staying in great hotels, you're staying extra nights, you eat the proper, you know, everything. I don't know physically if it's as challenged as mentally. And right now, I think that's what we saw in game one. Tampa was not mentally dialed into what the grind was going to look like, and Toronto embarrassed them. Talking to Mike Rubb. So, Mike, I'm kind of caught between doing what I'm supposed to do and saying you played for Torts, and you're right. We can go to YouTube and find any number of stories, but I would so love for you to tell me a story about him. So that's what I want to do. That's what I should do. But you mentioned the mental grind, and you mentioned Toronto. Toronto blasted – so this is a choice I'm making on the fly. Toronto blasted the Lightning 5 nothing last night, but it's been 55 years since Toronto won the Stanley Cup, and we're talking about the mental pressure being greater than the physical pressure. How much pressure – pressure is there on Toronto to break through this year? Oh, I mean, ridiculous. I mean, that city is the worst as far as, as far as I love it. Trust me. I, I wish one of my biggest regrets as a player, I wish I would have played in the Canadian market. They're, they're nuts, but that's fan base. But if, if they can ever win a cup again, <laughs> it would be the craziest thing I mean, it would be absolutely insane. I think the even people in other sports that have never even been introduced to hockey will see how that country slash the, the city of Toronto would respond. It would be incredible. With that being said, there's so much pressure that every year, and you talked about how long it's been, it gets really bad there. I played with a teammate who was there, signed a big free agent contract, went there, he's from there, and um, things didn't go well. He didn't play up to his contract. He was getting things left on his doorstep. He was getting things thrown at his front door. He had to move. You don't live in Toronto anymore. So, like, they're that crazy. It almost reminds me of, you know, stories you hear over in, in, in Europe as far as some, some of the soccer and some how crazy the fans are. So, it, it's good when you're good, but when you aren't, it sucks. So, uh, I know uh, it's – but they last night, the way they came out in Tampa – was not ready. Tampa, I haven't seen Tampa play that bad in a couple of years. Uh, Toronto was was dialed in, and their team was was buzzing all over the ice, pressuring, creating havoc, scoring goals. And that city uh, is wanted and starved for for Stanley Cup or even a first-round win in, in years or four years. Um, it almost felt like 
everybody thought they won the cup last night. So <laughs> it's a grind. You got 15 more wins you need, Toronto. So I'm uh, going to be a little patient because Tampa's going to come back with a vengeance, I think. That's something else. 15 more. The 16 are so hard to get. Mike Rubb joining us. So, Mike, when you talk about what it's like to play in a Canadian market, how you missed out on that, I mean, obviously there are Canadian markets and they're different in and of themselves. As an example, you've got Edmonton, right? I mean, Toronto is Toronto, and that's its own deal. Edmonton loses to the Kings last night, although Connor McDavid had that unbelievable goal late in the first period. But Edmonton was bounced in the first round last year. So if we're talking about pressure, if Edmonton loses this series to L.A., how bad would that be for them? Uh, it would be it would be terrible because the L.A. Kings have been the, one of the brightest stories in the league. Uh, they've been absolutely a, a surprise. Their pipeline has been been setting up for setting itself up for a number of years now. They've had one of the best drafts, a uh, number of drafts and prospect pools in the NHL. So the the future for the LA Kings is is very very bright. But I didn't think the future was now, and they've surprised a lot a lot of people. And uh, but still going into the series, they're an underdog. Yeah, the Edmonton Oilers have to win, and it's not even that. Yes, there's a lot of pressure on this team. But where I think the pressure's mounting is with superstar Connor McDavid. And this is the best player in hockey. He has been. He's won four, won four scoring titles in, what, is six years or seven years in the league. Um, he's the best player in the world. If they get bounced again by a team that they should not, get, should not lose to, I think there might be some tough conversations in Edmonton this summer. I think Connor McDavid might be trying to find his his exit route out of there. And so this is an organization that traded Wayne Gretzky, and that's always been the thing in hockey. If Wayne Gretzky can get traded, anybody can get traded. So Gretzky gets traded to the L.A. Kings. This L.A. Kings team could knock out Edmonton and could start the snowball effect of Connor McDavid working his way out of Edmonton. Mike, I was going to say, would that be anything of an issue, the same franchise losing both Wayne Gretzky and Connor McDavid? Would that be an issue? <laughs> you think? Can right? you imagine? I mean, that'd be like, I'd be like uh, you know, Magic Johnson and, and Kobe both uh, getting run out of town by the same franchise. Like, it'd be unbelievable. It's incredible. Before I let you go, so the Rangers and Penguins start their series tonight. What are your early thoughts on that matchup? Yeah, so the Rangers have dominated the Penguins all season long. It's been a tough matchup for the Pens. The Rangers' speed, they're another team that uh, – that Rangers team in New York, like in the next five years, they're going to be contending for a cup every single year. And they've been a little bit of a surprise as well because maybe not so much as the Kings, but they weren't supposed to be there this year. They have a goaltender, Igor Shosturkin, Russian kid who's unbelievable. He's been, he's the best goalie in the league right now. He'll win the Vesna Trophy uh, for for number one goaltender. Um, but the speed of the Rangers has been a problem for the Penguins. The Penguins have limped into the playoffs. They look like a shell of themselves. They were a really great story all year, but they came down the stretch just really kind of fumbling around. But it's really really hard for me to bet against Sidney Crosby, like. And I know it's not betting on that player per se. You, you got this team here. But I just – I think the Rangers should win this series. But I'll have to see what Sid has to say here early on in the series because his game and his level is – he's the best all-around player in the NHL. And his point totals might not be what they once were, but he provides a lot of different things. 
it's hard to bet against Sidney Crosby, but they're going with their backup goalie because their starter has a Tristan Jari has a broken foot. So Casey the Smith will be playing. We'll have to see. I, I think it's going to go Rangers, but I think it's going to be a long series. Talking to Mike Rupp, Mike, I don't want to get greedy with your time. It's so good to have you back. I want to ask you a couple of really quick things, if you've got a moment. For your podcast, you recently had a former neighbor of mine on, Chris Pronger, and he was talking about Mario Lemieux and his greatness and the fact that he didn't realize how fast he was. I mean, remember, Mario was big, big. Yeah. And he didn't realize how fast he was until Mario – and by the way, Pronger was a great player. He didn't realize it until Mario hit him with four goals and four assists. Like, as great as Mario was, do people still underestimate just how great Mario was? I'm sitting here right now talking to you in Pittsburgh, getting ready to cover that game tonight, Pittsburgh and the Rangers. And – not just here in Pittsburgh, but across the hockey world, there's always that what if. What if Mario stayed healthy? If Mario stayed healthy, because his goals per game over in the average over his career, there's a lot, a lot of people outside of Western Pennsylvania in the hockey world that think that he's the best player of all time. And so when you look at the game totals, he wasn't there with Wayne. I, was, I grew up a Wayne guy. I was always Wayne Gretzky. I was a big Kings fan. Um, you know, that was my guy. And, uh, but Mario, when you start pulling some of the numbers back, I mean, this guy was unbelievable. And Prong said it, man. It's, he was big. He was, he, look at the, the rules back there. I mean, he's getting hogtied going down the ice. He's got four guys on him, and he still scores goals. Like, it was a different era, and this guy was a different bird. He really was. And then finally, Mike, you've got stories and stories and stories for days, which I always love. Really quickly, is it true that back in the day, a ref wanted to fight you during a game? Is that true? How did that go down? <laughs> yeah, so uh, so it was during the game, and, um, you know, it was I didn't like the calls. And this ref and I kind of had it out a lot. It was Bill McCreary. He was a, a longtime referee. And so I would stand up and uh, there'd be a, a missed call against our team. So the gameplay is going on. I, w- I stood up on the bench and I take my stick. I go over the boards and I start like hammering my stick blade against the boards. And there's parts of the board that are kind of hollowed out. And it's loud, right? It's like beating a drum. So you can hear it throughout the whole arena. And it's very obvious what I'm doing. I'm trying to show him up, right? So my voice might not carry there, but if he misses something, the crowd's like, oh, boo. And I start hammering that. He knows I'm trying to show him up. So I do that, and I see him during the, the gameplay just kind of gives me the hairy eyeball. And I so I – whatever, I'm like – I'm not going to say what I said. I'm yelling stuff at him, and I sit down, and uh, there's a TV timeout. And I'm, I'm starting – I'm going to go – I bet down to start tying my skates to tie him up a little bit tighter. All of a sudden, I hear someone stop right in front of me uh, by the bench. I hear it, shh. And I look up, and Bill McCurry had a real heavy mustache. He's an older gentleman, and he stops there, and he goes – are you, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but he's like, are you, are you showing me up? Are you showing me up? I'm like, make the, I'm like, make the call. Like, wake up, you know, whatever. And he goes, you tough guy. You're a tough guy. He starts backing away and he goes, let's go tough guy. Come on, come over the boards, big boy. And I'm like, I'm like, what are you kidding me? So I'm like, I'm like, what do I do here? Like, I don't, I'll never play a shift again. So I obviously don't do it. And I'm, and he's called me out. He's like, let's sell it right here during this TV timeout. And I'm like, no, you, I'm like, you know, I can't, and I, I'm like losing my mind even more. He knows that I can't do anything about it. But uh, yeah, he, he kind of owned me, owned oh, me on that evening. Oh, that is incredible. Like Mike, do you, what if you snapped and it was not going to happen? You would not ever let it get to that point, but was he ready to go? Like, what if you would come over the boards? 
<laughs> I, I don't know, man. Like, honestly, I was sitting there. I mean, I, I'm like, is this guy, this guy must be very, he's very, he must think he really knows me. You know what I mean? Because if he doesn't, like, I come off the boards, what's going to happen here? But, uh, yeah, I guess he felt pretty confident in Dude, that's uh, a bluff. That's, or, a, that's a big, strong bluff. I know. Maybe, maybe he'd work me. I don't know. We'd have to see. You, you must have... Uh... I'm going to let it go with this, but you must have been so enraged. I mean, McCreary, McCreary's McCreary, but for a ref to be kind of baiting or taunting you with, hey, tough guy, hey, tough guy, you want some of this? You must have been enraged. I, I, I literally turned around and said to my teammates and one of my assistant coaches, Bammy, and I go, I go, is this guy blank and serious? Like, is he for real? And then I got a, like one of the coaches put his hand on my shoulder and like told me to sit down. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I was just furious the rest of the game. What an amazing story. He is a Stanley Cup champ. He is a 14-year NHL vet. He is an NHL Network analyst. The NHL Network is going to have live coverage before and after every Stanley Cup playoff game, including on NHL Now and NHL Tonight, which Mike is a part of. And he's got a brand-new podcast called That's Hockey Talk. My guy, I didn't mean to keep you so long, Mike, but you were that good of a guest. I really appreciate that. That was an absolute blast. Thank you so much. No, thank you, and everybody enjoy the playoffs, and uh, I'll come back anytime. Love your show. Love it. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake or eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender and made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? James in Portland. What's going on, James? Jimmy, my man, does the restraining order served on me from Alvin affect my golden ticket? Even though I live in Oregon, it doesn't mean that I've seen a beaver. Hey, I got to go. I'm blunt out. Ah. All right, so now it's official. Now we have a fake James in Portland. Their GM, of course, is Brandon Bean. Brandon, so good to have you back. How are you? Nice to be on, Jim. How are you doing? Good, Brandon. How about you? How are things? Things are well. It's good to have the the draft behind us and uh, uh, on to uh, getting ready for next year already. Yeah, I'm really curious about that. I was going to say, once the draft and that process of signing undrafted free agents is over, do you allow yourself any chance to kind of unwind and get away for a little bit, or are you right back on the ground, right back on the grind, looking at the next item on your list? Well, it you know, it, it doesn't stop. You know, you, you get into staff personnel, whether it's, you know, a lot of your coaching changes and, and such happen after the season ends and at this time of year as – you know, there can be some personnel movement, scouts, things like that. So uh, you work on that, and then we've got a rookie mini camp coming up two weeks, and then uh, you just try and make sure your roster's set, you get to know your guys, and we'll kind of wind it down mid-June and take four or five weeks off and, and then come back for camp. Nice. Brandon Bean joining us. So, Brandon, I mentioned I had Falcons GM Terry Fontenot on the show earlier. We talked about his pick of Drake London at number eight and how much the value of receivers has changed over the years. With that in mind, how much more valuable then do cornerbacks become? And then how much did that play into your decision to select Kyer Elam in the first round? Yeah, the cornerback position has really uh, taken off. We did – knowing that that was a position we needed to hopefully address. We had looked at some in free agency, but 
uh, to your point, the, those top guys got paid a lot of money. And so we kind of did a study of the last, you know, several drafts of where some of these guys were going. And if you want a guy that you feel comfortable can go out there in year one and play, uh, you better get him by, you know, first, second round or you're, or you're starting to play with fire a little bit. All right, so I wonder about that. Like, you've got Micah Hyde, you've got Jordan Poyer, and it's such an elite combo at safety. If we're talking about somebody playing in that first year, does it take pressure off a young corner to have those guys on the field and in meeting rooms with him? I would imagine it does. Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, uh, Tredavious White on the other side, Trey's coming, working his way back from his ACL that he injured in, uh, on Thanksgiving Day last year. But Having Micah and Jordan, two vets back there, uh, they'll know what he's dealing with. They'll know he's a rookie, and and they're probably gonna he's probably gonna get targeted a little bit. But uh, I think that he those two guys will definitely help his transition along with Trey White and and our nickel corner Taron Johnson. Bill's GM Brandon Bean is joining us. So Brandon, at a time where a number of teams would rather trade a wide receiver than pay him. You did decide to sign an extension with Stephon Diggs. I'm curious about the thought process or the value system behind that move. What was your thinking behind that? Yeah, I mean, the market has definitely taken off this year, Jim. It's uh, it's one of those things where you, you saw it when free agency started. You didn't see it with the number ones right away. You saw it with kind of the number two receivers, and some of those guys were getting now $20 million or, or just under 20 and I think that those contracts ultimately started pushing up the number ones. Devontae Adams goes up, uh, then the Tyreek Hill deal. So we tried to – we know Steph's the number one. We felt he was he was in that category of, you know, Devontae and, and Hill. And um, just what he has brought to our offense the last two years, we just – we felt like it was worth – you know, it, it's an expensive item. There's no way around it. But we just felt not having him and – going the draft route was not the way we wanted to go right now with where our offense has played the last two years. Yeah, I really appreciate that. I wonder if there's something, Brandon, to it also. Like, he is an established number one. You talked about what he meant to the offense. What does he meant? I mean, is there an intangible thing, too? Like, not only what he means to the offense, not only what he means to Josh Allen, but the other receivers in the offense. Is there something that even you can't quantify that he brings to it? Well, there's no doubt. He First of all, he, he's a dog. He plays with an edge. Um, he, he's a leader in his own way. He's a gamer. He shows up every week, and um, he just—he's he, one of those guys. He, he practices hard, Jim. Like I mean, we do one-on-ones. Some guys are just kind of going through the motion. It's a competitive battle out there uh, with our receivers in our corner, and it started with him when he got here. That became, you know, just the intensity ramped up, and and we've really, you know, I think with Steph out there. That opens up guys like Dawson Knox, who ha- who had a career year last year. Gabe Davis came on late for us. Uh, Isaiah McKenzie made some big plays in the New England game. So we just feel our offense would look totally different if we didn't have him out there and it wasn't worth losing him. Brandon Bean is joining us. And then, Brandon, back in March before the draft, you took a big swing. You brought in Vaughn Miller. I'm curious, how did you approach that process? And then how did he approach it with you? Well, uh, you know, there were a couple guys that we said, hey, these are uh, potential, I'm going to call them closers to use a baseball term. We we wanted to upgrade our pass rush. We felt like we had a steady rush last year, but in some of the biggest games, we just couldn't get the quarterback to the ground. And there were some times we needed that big moment, somebody make that sack. And, and Vaughn's obviously a proven Hall of Famer. Uh, and you saw even at, at his age in early 30s, the way he played down the stretch for, for the Rams. And uh, I don't think they win that Super Bowl without him. And you know, you're talking about adding a guy to your team that's that's won a Super Bowl twice. 
that right there is invaluable. You know, he can give these guys, and I, and I heard he did it for the Rams, just talking to them about what their championship team was about when they were in Denver. And um, and I think, too, similar to Steph, he's going to help our young pass rushers. You know, first off, people are going to be – I would think he's going to get more attention, you know, from the offense, whether it's a, a chip player or an extra lineman on him. Those guys will get more one-on-one rushes. And then the other part, he'll be able to teach them the nuances, what to see, what to expect, and, and I think – those guys will all improve with Vaughn being here. Brandon Bean is joining us. You know, you and I have talked in the past about Buffalo and how special a fan base and place that is. Like, what's it say that Vaughn chose Buffalo over L.A. and Dallas, for example? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of the things I said to our owner. He, he was not here when we were doing that, but I had talked to him what the parameters would probably look like, and, uh, you know, I thought we would be in the top two or three, but – you know, I felt like all along he probably would try and go back to the Rams, you know, L.A. versus Buffalo. Didn't want to leave Aaron Donald, Sean McVay, and that crew. And, um, you know, we we were super excited, and I think it's, it's great for the city of Buffalo and the Pagulas that uh, they got chosen over L.A. Brandon Bean is joining us for a few more moments. You know, Brandon, I thought you had a really interesting observation going to the draft and that was that you felt like it was going to be a particularly deep draft because of how COVID impacted decisions the prospects made when it came to the draft. Can you lay that out for me? What did that mean for the quality of talent that was there in the later rounds? Yeah, I mean, Jim, there's some guys over the last two years just with the, the COVID exemption in, in the NCAs that some guys got that fifth, sixth year if they already even had a red shirt. So um, a lot of those guys that went back were guys that were trying to improve their draft stock a little bit. Maybe they were a a priority free agent or a seventh rounder, and they wanted to improve their stock to get to a sixth or a fifth rounder. And then you add that with the normal class of players. Uh, it was it was flooded, I thought, on the back end, that those late Saturday picks. And, you know, some years, you know, we wouldn't have tried to get three or four six-round picks like we did. But as we saw our board unfold, we just felt like there were going to be some guys that could legitimately contend for a roster spot, which you don't always see at that point of the draft. So, Brandon, before we go, we're a few days shy of the fifth anniversary of you being hired in Buffalo. What do you remember about first arriving with the organization, and what has the run been like for you? You know, it's uh, it was an exciting time. It was it was definitely un- unnerving. You're like, all right, I've been in Carolina for 19 years. I'm uprooting my family. Uh, this is a team that has not won in so long, and obviously I'm aware of the weather. When we played here, it wasn't always beautiful if you're playing you know november december but um i was also excited like this is a passionate fan base and what better thing to do to be a part of turning this thing around 17 years without you know a playoff berth so um it's been great i i, I was familiar with sean mcdermott working together and, and i knew that he and i would have a pretty much aligned vision and and just you know it's been it's been a great five years it goes by fast and um Hopefully I can find a way to uh, make them keep me for five more years. Uh, I think that's a pretty good bet. One last thought. You mentioned the weather, Brandon. It's a real thing, right? Like I, When I first went to Buffalo, I went in the summertime, but I've been in cold weather. I've been at games where the weather was cold. What's it say about the fan base? You can talk all you want about the mafia this, the mafia that. To me, the commitment is absolutely incredible. Sure, they live like that. They understand it. They're used to it. But what's it say about a fan base that you're great now, arguably the team to beat this year now, but in years where the team was not that competitive, it didn't matter – What's it say about a fan base that's willing to endure those elements no matter what the product is and how tough they are and how badly they want it? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm biased, Jim. I know it. But, 
I don't, I truly don't see it. I know people say their fans are the best all the time, whatever, but I don't know how you could top these fans. I mean, my first year here, there was a, we got like 16 inches of snow one day. We're playing the Colts. It's in December. And at 12 noon, there was not a flake on the ground. By 1245, I mean, it was coming down in buckets. And these people did not leave. There's pictures. I mean, you couldn't hardly, you know, walk on the field. It was ankle high. And you look in the stands and people, I mean, the place is just packed. And and they thrive in it. They love it. It, It's part of Buffalo, just the toughness. And that's why they respect these players so much that they put their bodies on the line. And, uh, you know, what's crazy is they don't just show up here, Jim. They show up when we play on the road. and, And our players really thrive on it, going into other stadiums and hearing the Bills Mafia kind of make more noise than the home crowd. Yeah, I was just going to say, finally, Brandon, what about that? Does it go, is it a two-way relationship? Are the players fully aware of that commitment? Do they feel that love? And does it, I don't want to say does it make them play harder because they're pros, but do they really feel that love and does it make a difference to the guys in the locker room? Oh, it's, it's huge. And our guys talk about it. Um, you know, even some of our players, we just had Jordan Phillips who had left and signed uh, an extension or a contract several years ago with Arizona. And that's the first thing he talked about. I can't wait to get back in front of Bill's Mafia, play in front of this crowd. Nothing has been more exciting in my career. And, and the guys talk about it. It's on social media. And I definitely think that is advantageous for us when we're recruiting free agents here. I appreciate that. Buffalo has won two straight divisional titles. They have been to the playoffs four times in five years. Not coincidentally, he was named GM five years ago. He is Brandon Bean. Brandon, I really appreciate the relationship, the conversation, the interview, and that's how you close the show. Thanks so much for doing that. That was great. You, you got it, Jim. Always good. Appreciate you having me on, buddy. Good night now!